Grace and peace to you from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I love this lesson from chapter Acts, from the fifth chapter of Acts, about the disciples being thrown in prison and the angel releasing them and them being told, go back out there. Get them, boys. I love that. Emperor Constantine gets a great deal of the blame for the growth of Christianity and its phenomenal success within the heart of the Roman civilization and empire. Which is extraordinarily odd, since how we don't really have much of a record of Constantine being that much of a Christian. His mother was a big Christian, I'll give you that. And Constantine was baptized on his deathbed. But just because your mama believes something doesn't mean you do. He did a lot of things for the Christian church, but he was the emperor and he couldn't avoid it. I like to think that he came to faith late in life, but we don't have a huge record of that other than just simply relying upon his baptism. Now, Constantine is the first pro-Christian emperor, meaning that he saw what was going on within his society and went, yep, those seem to be decent enough guys, especially since how mom was one of them. But the Edict of Milan is enacted in 313. The Edict of Milan is what made Christianity a legal religion in the Roman Empire again. But it's a full 300 years after Christ. I mean, that's the dumbest thing in the world to blame Constantine for the rise of Christianity in the West a full 300 years after Christ has risen from the dead. I mean, 300 years ago in America, we were getting ready to fight the revolution against England. To blame Donald Trump for the Federalist Papers is ridiculous. I mean, he could be blamed for a lot of stuff but not the Revolutionary War. That would be ridiculous. And yet people do this all the time. They're like, Constantine this, Constantine that. We see from our lesson here in Acts this morning, Christianity is doing just fine without Constantine. Why? Because you have godly people doing God's work normalizing their lives unto God's word and speaking that truth when given opportunity and sometimes when they're told not to. Western civilization is part and part of the story of Christendom. Many are attempting to undo that civilization. They're trying to undo Western civilization with what Carl Truman calls anti-culture. And it really is. It's not a culture unto himself. It is a rejection of all culture. It's what you get when you, you, you cross Friedrich Nietzsche's nihilism. Now, Nietzsche's nihilism is just an extreme, extreme skepticism. How many of you would consider yourselves skeptical? All right, don't play along. That's fine. We are We swim in the same puddle with everybody else. We are extremely skeptical. I am no no more skeptical as when I'm watching the news or watching commercials. Commercials are the dumbest things that I can find 
in life today. They just say the dumbest things and try to get you to buy the dumbest things for the dumbest reasons. And the later you get, the dumber the commercials become. And I'm always thinking, do you really think I'm that stupid? And the answer is, "Uh (laughs) uh-huh. Buy our thing. You take Friedrich Nietzsche's nihilism, this extreme skeptical attitude, you combine it with Charles Darwin's origins of species myth, and it is a myth, by the way. It is a myth. We know that what Darwin proposes in the origin of species is not possible. There is not enough time for it to be done. There's not enough time for life to have arisen on this planet, four different, it arises and dies out and arises and dies out and arises and dies out and arises and dies. There's not enough time. And the highest levels of science know that this doesn't work. Now, granted, origin of species, it works, it works great in elementary school. It works great in high school. It works great in junior high. Works great if you just want a bachelor's degree in biology. Where'd we come from? Well, we had this accident and a puddle of ooze and out climbed something and that thing turned into this and turned into that and turned into that and turned into dinosaurs. Then the dinosaurs drove out. Then the dinosaurs turned into birds and then the birds turned into monkeys and the monkeys turned into people and you did it. But there's not enough time. And our society is stuck with this origin myth because we've all done this little pinky swear that we're not going to teach Christianity in church anymore. But you got to teach kids that we're from somewhere. You can't teach them we're from outer space, can you? There are some people who believe that, who actually really believe that, that Earth keeps getting seeded with life by extraterrestrials. That they're like these 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 universal gardeners. <laughs> and every time this piece of their garden dies, they come back and they're like, oh, that's why we have alien stories because these are just the gardeners who are coming through and looking things over, going, is everything okay? Yep, it's good. And then they leave. But yet God creating the world in seven days is ridiculous. You take Nietzsche, you take Darwin, you throw in a little bit of Freud's sexual revolution and a little Marxist authoritarianism, and boom, you've got this this anti-culture that seeks to tear everything in the world down. It's what you get when you cross sex with socialism, which is where we are right now. You see, sex is so important, right? And I know it's an older crowd, and you're like, I see where you're going with this. I just don't see how it makes any sense. It doesn't. It doesn't. You see, sex, whether it's procreative sex or not procreative sex, is no longer a private affair. It's public. It's public because sex is a constituent element in a published social identity. This is why you see people running around with gay flags all the time going, look, look at my sexuality, look at my sexuality. Our previous generations didn't do that. I couldn't imagine me wandering around with a flag that says heterosexual going, look, I'm a heterosexual, look. I'm a... People would be like, nobody cares. 
I know some of you are still nervous, going, would he shut up about this? This is not something you talk about in public. But that's the problem we're having with our society right now. The anti-culture says this is something we always have to talk about. This is the most important thing to your published identity is who do you sleep with? It's ridiculous. It's anti-culture. This is what the problem, the huge problem with Christianity has with the LGBTQRSGH, whatever it is they're going to say, movement. Because it's not an alternative lifestyle. The LGBTQRS movement is not an alternative lifestyle. It has become mainstreamed. What it is, is an alternative religion. It is an alternative religion. Our identity comes to us from Christ Jesus. And although I think it's ridiculous to be waving a flag that says, look at my sexuality, I don't think it's ridiculous for me to wear a cross every single day. And that cross, that pendant, that necklace, that hat, whatever it is, that is my primary identity and yours. It is the thing that changes and centers everything in my life. Everything about my life walls around that one gravity well of Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. And nothing else, nothing else, comes close to being as important as that, as I circle Jesus Christ. We should fear, love, and trust in nothing except Jesus. First commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. And Acts chapter 5. By the time we get to Acts chapter 5, Jesus has been resurrected, he's ascended into heaven, and stuff is happening, and it's happening very quickly. And Christianity, by the way, Christianity's doing just fine without Constantine. You know why? Because it's godly men and women doing godly things. Because it's the work of God. The Holy Spirit is active within the world and it is bringing people to repentance. It is bringing faith. It is softening hearts. The signs and the wonders that Jesus did continue to be done and they live in, with, and under the shadow of Jesus Christ. Peter himself is preaching Christ crucified for the forgiveness of the sins of the world and he stands in the shadow of Jesus. And people see that shadow. The teaching of Jesus empowers, empowered by the Holy Spirit continues. And it happens so often that people are taking to placing the sick and the ill and the broken in the street near where they think Peter's going to walk, lest his shadow crosses them, that his shadow might fall upon some of them. And you think, who would do something so silly? Well, desperate people would. People who are desperate. But because Peter is the spokesman of the apostles, of which by now at this point there are more than 500, more than 500 people have seen the resurrected Jesus. 
Because Peter is the spokesman, he's the most easily of the group to be identified. As our text from Acts chapter 5 says, they are all held and highly regarded. They are highly esteemed. Not just because of their good behavior, but because they are indeed doing the work of God. They are being salt and light in their community. They're feeding strangers. They're welcoming... They're feeding strangers. They're feeding the hungry. They're welcoming strangers. This is where their esteem comes from. But it also comes from their perspective. It comes from their their ethical life. I'm going to digress a little bit. My mother gave me a book a couple of years ago. This book was a book of sermons. Now, you know I read a lot of sermons. I, I don't love, love reading sermons. I used to love reading sermons back in the day when you could just pick up a book of sermons and it actually have decent stuff in it. Nowadays, it's almost sort of more of a chore than anything. But it is part of my office work of being a pastor. It's part of the preaching office. If you want to know how to preach, you need to read people who also preach. Right? It's, it's like a car mechanic going to a car show. You need to be able to do this. It's like a crafter wandering around through Hobby Lobby. You know, God's craft store. You get a crafter wandering around through Hobby Lobby, and, and that's, that, it's, it's stirring up those juices. This is what I do when I read sermons. So my mother gives me this book of sermons. It's a, it's a small little book. It's only got about 12 sermons in it. And it is written by the dean of the chapel at the university that she works for. I'm like, Mom, I didn't know your university did chapel. And she went, no, they don't. I was like, well, why do they need a dean of the chapel? And she went, never really thought about it. <laughs> I was like, if you're going to have a chapel, you should probably, I don't know, Lead chapel, and if you're going to pay somebody to be the dean of the chapel, maybe they could lead chapel, but they don't. So whatever, it's okay. Uh, Barack Obama's pastor, Jeremiah Wright, is also a member of this church. So I was like, oh, that makes more sense. I didn't expect much out of this book of sermons, but my mother gave it to me, so I read it anyway. I mean, she's, she's not really a friend of my mother, but they work together, so to speak. And she, this woman's a celebrated author. She's working on a staff to do something that she doesn't actually have to do, but they still pay her to do it. So obviously, she's got to be doing something. She's got some value that she's bringing here somewhere. She's already published five to seven books of sermons. Certainly, there's something in here I can use, a sermon structure, a turn of a phrase, a gospel hook. Nothing. Nothing. I got a book of sermons led, I got a book of sermons written by a woman who's the dean of the chapel at a university that doesn't hold chapel. It seems like nothing less, at least she could just write sermons all day, even if she doesn't give them to anybody. There's nothing in here. There's nothing in this book of sermons that's worth anything to anybody. Basically, what she comes up with is that the world sucks. I know you're not supposed to say sucks in church, but I've crossed the 50-year-old Lamarck, so I can say what I want, as long as I don't, I guess cursing would be a, a crossing the line, and curse sucks is not cursing. She says the world sucks. That's sermon one. From there, she goes on to, to a couple other things, right? People 
People suck. Society sucks. Social ministry sucks. Uh, capitalism sucks. All of the inadequacies within the capitalistic system, books, technology, racism, guns, all of these things are awful. Boy, she gets to the end of the sermon. She's like, boy, I wish there was some way that we all might be able to, to be the change that we wish to see. I'm not paying that much attention at the first four or five sermons. By the time I get to six, seven, and eight, I'm screaming at this lady. I'm, scr- I'm literally, I'm throwing the book around. I'm like, are you kidding me? She commiserates with her audience and going, guys, I know, guys, I know it's hard out there. I know it's really hard out there. And I know people, people are going to let you down. People are going to let you down and society's going to let you down and things aren't always going to go your way. And I know, I know it's hard out there. You know it's hard out there. And you know who really knows? You know who really knows that it's hard out there? Jesus. Jesus knows how hard it is out there. Jesus knows. And Jesus, Jesus is with you. Out of all the people in the world, Jesus knows how hard it can be. And Jesus, Jesus is with you. No! No, that is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ didn't go to a cross and bleed and die so that you can know that he's on your side. He died for the forgiveness of your sins. He died that you might know that you're a broken sinner, part of a broken creation, and that Jesus Christ has forgiven you of your sins. There's not a mention in this whole book of sin at all. I don't think she ever talked about sin at all. I mean, she certainly has an extraordinarily poor view of the world. Go back to Nietzsche. I would say she's definitely a nihilist. But the convicting of her audience that they personally, of what they have personally done and personally left undone is missing entirely. And if you haven't committed any sins, then you certainly don't need a Savior to die for them. We preach Christ and Him crucified. That's what Christianity is. At its absolute barest bones heart. Paul preaches Christ and Him crucified. Peter preached Christ and Him crucified. My brothers preach Christ and Him crucified. Crucified for your sins and for mine. Not for a better world. Christ has overcome the world. The world's world's simply going to do whatever it's going to do. And God himself has said it's rotten and it needs to be destroyed. And that he is someday going to come in the clouds and he's going to bring this world to a close. Western civilization or anti-civilization, it doesn't matter what's in charge at the moment. I don't care what society is doing. I don't care what everybody else is doing. I don't care what everybody else is thinking. Admit your sin. Tell others that you have been forgiven of your great and many sins by your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and tell them that that is the hope that you have. That is your hope for eternal life. My sins, which are many and varied, are forgiven in Christ. 
from abuse to greed, from gluttony to sexual immorality, from divorce to giddiness over watching Chris Rock get slapped on public television. I tell you what, that's the funniest Chris Rock has ever been in my entire life. And I know I shouldn't glorify in that, but you know what? Part of me is like, you know what? A little corporate punishment never hurt anybody. Seems like we should slap people a little bit more, just a little bit. But I'd end up in prison, and I don't want to be in prison. Your sin is forgiven in Jesus Christ. God has fixed you. He has made you righteous in the sight of the Lord God Almighty. And a life lived in, with, and under that fact can be a life that is held in esteem. It is a life lived in the shadow of the cross. It is a life lived in the wonder and the life of Jesus Christ. It is a life that the rest of the world just looks at from afar and wonders at. Where do they get their joy? Where do they get their hope? It's from Christ and Him crucified. And we believe that people know this news, but I don't think they know it nearly as well as they do. They don't hear it as much as they think they hear it. That God does love you. He does. And sent His Son to die for you. This is what the apostles continue to teach throughout their entire lives. God loves you. He sent his son to die for you. To forgive you of your sins, now go forth and sin no more. In God's name, amen.